0: On this episode of FieldLink, we travel to Garden City, Kansas, to catch up with branch manager from Helena, Dan Pianalto, as growers prepare for their winter wheat fertility program by incorporating research into their fertility program for 24. Plus, Cody Blockowitz, Helena product manager from Colorado, discusses valuable strategies on how strip-till growers in the High Plains... Are incorporating research into their fertility program. We'll learn how this unique humic formulation has opened the doors to some new efficiencies that can only be delivered by research. Plus, Jody Lawrence joins us from Nashville for the latest in the WASTA report, as well as how weather is impacting commodity prices. Stay tuned for this episode of FieldLink. And we're back at FieldLink, and joining us from Garden City, Kansas, is Dan Pinalto. Dan, welcome to FieldLink.
1: Hi, Bill. How are you today?
0: Hey, good, man. Uh, how are things in southwest Kansas today?
1: Good. We got a little rain and uh, we're planting some wheat and it, we really needed it, so things are well.
0: Good deal. Well, Dan, it's that time of year. Uh, you know, guys are starting to plant wheat and fertilizer starting to roll out, I'm sure. Um, Dan, you know, one of the things that uh, we've talked to a lot of growers about is the incorporation of Resurge into their fertility program. How, how's Resurge been working for your guys in southwest Kansas?
1: Fantastic. You know, um, you you know, we use a lot of the humic products, uh, hydro and uh, the guys really like to research when we go to the planter applications.
0: Yeah, let's talk a little bit about research. You know, uh, you mentioned Hydro-Hume, Um uh, Basically, hydrohume has been around 20, 25 years, had great results with that. But, you know, a few years back, we brought, introduced uh, research into the marketplace. Different formulation, uh, more of a pelletized formula. Um A lot easier in handling is what a lot of growers and as well as dealers are telling us. What are your guys talking about in terms of that new formulation?
1: My growers, you know, we like that it's very low dust. It's uh, the granular is very uniform. So we make a planter application. It mixes well with our dry fertilizer and we get a very uniform application and good results.
0: Good deal. So handling research is a lot easier, a little more convenient. Are you guys, how how are you applying research today? Or has it opened up the door for some different application methods?
1: Yeah. Well, so we're mostly a liquid plant, but in our dry, our dry plant, we, uh, we apply our, almost all of our dry through air seeders. And so that's, that's how a hundred percent of ours goes out is with air seeders. And it's really, uh, because the convenience, uniformity, the low dust, the growers like it a lot more. And so, we pretty much all the dry that goes out of our barn has research in it.
0: Yeah, that's a good point you know, uh, with this new formulation it's really opened the door to the ear cedar market, which is critical in the high plains and wheat country uh, as you mentioned, a lot of your producers are utilizing that technology what, what are some of the guys that, you know hands on, uh, that, that are really touching this product, what What are their comments as it relates to okay. handling research?
1: Well, when we first started out, you know we had a dusty, uh, you know, not a very uniform product and it didn't mix as well but now it, it comes out in a really nice mix and it, they don't have a lot of dust when they're filling the planters um the product you know the uniformity with the planter is excellent and you know, we see it, you know the, the yield and the, the yield benefits and then they see a lot of really good even emergence and and we really like the research product yeah
0: dan i think that's a great point too you know other than the convenience which is really critical especially in your marketplace with air spreaders just the ability to have that uniformity spread across the field is pretty critical and i'm assuming that a lot of growers in your market are starting to see some of the i guess financial benefits of reducing a little bit of their fertility input but yet not compromising yield
1: exactly and and if we do it has all the uh, it has all the benefits of you know, of making the fertilizer more efficient. You know, so we're doing we're combining uh, more efficiency of the fertilizer with the placement of the fertilizer, and it works really well right there with the seed.
0: That's great. W- what are some uh, What are some of your producers? Do you have some experiences that you could share with us that uh, some of your growers are experiencing with research?
1: Well, right now it pretty much goes in every planter, but we saw some some really good yield bumps. Um, you know, fifteen bushels. The first only we first one out with the product. Um, we saw a place where we've left the planter off and it's just it's night and day i've actually got some pictures but of the the emergency uniform i need more tillering it just the plant got off to a quicker start and looked a lot better after it got three to four leaves and where the, the air seeder was off
0: excellent excellent results there in southwest kansas are uh do you do you expect to see acres continuing to grow this year as we take a look at 24 and growers starting to tighten things
1: up a little bit? Um, I just I think, you know, we're, you know, pretty much everybody that's uh, running dry, you know, puts the research in there. So our acres should be fairly consistent. You know, our wheat acres are maybe up a little, so we'll see a little more, but it, it's you know pretty much everybody doing it puts the research with it when they're running their seed.
0: so certainly becoming a, a standard staple a part of your program in the garden city branch in southwest kansas yes well uh, dan i want to thank you for joining us here today on field link and sharing some of the experiences with growers as well as some of your employees in southwest kansas and how research is impacting the wheat crop for uh for 24 all right thank you bill thanks dan Okay, now we're going to move on to Cody. Cody uh, blockowitz Cody is a product manager from Colorado, uh, Helena Product Managers. Uh, Cody, welcome to FieldLink.
2: Hey, thanks, Bill. Uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me on.
0: Hey, you bet, Cody. You know, we just had a good chat here with Dan. He's kind of bringing us up to speed a little bit about some of the experiences he's had in uh, Southwest Kansas as it relates to uh, uh, research in, in his marketplace. But, You know, uh, you you certainly work with Dan in in southwest Kansas, but you also cover the high plains throughout Nebraska and Colorado. What are some of your other customers experiencing as it relates to research in your area?
2: Uh, Much similar experiences as Dan had spoke to. Um, They absolutely just get along with it really well. Um, They've ran Humix in the past um, and always seem to have issues with uh, It being kind of dirty, um, it likes to fracture a lot. Um, So with research, that kind of amends all that. Um, The handling is improved, the dusting off is improved. Uh, they just get along with it really well.
0: Yeah, certainly uh, with research, you know, handling is a, is, is a really important piece. You know, that new formulation and a pelletized formula, it's almost like a small BB in, in a lot of regards. But creating that consistency in terms of placement across the acre certainly is a benefit. But let's talk about the core of research. Uh, wh- you know, there's you, we heard the term humix out there an awful lot, Cody. But can you tell us what the difference is? from a humic standpoint uh, as it relates to research versus eh, some other competitive products that might be out on the
2: marketplace? Sure, you bet. Um, so much like uh, um it is it originates with a 70% humic pure ore. Um, research then takes all the features and benefits of hydro and actually manufactures it down to where it's a consistent size and shape, um, and it's designed to withstand... That high impact environment that air seeders often often uh, bring to the table. Um, so it's designed to go through these air seeders uh, and brings all that, that 70% ore. So out of that 70% ore, we're gaining nitrogen use efficiencies uh, by 15%. Um, when things are getting tight, uh, like it is now, uh, everything you can uh, get out of your nitrogen, the, the further it goes, the better. So
0: you bet. And, and, and I think that's an important point. You know, uh, really the chemistry of research has been around a long time. Uh, it's, it's, its cousin, if you will, is, is a product, Hydrohume, that's been uh, in our market portfolio for 20, 25 years, and it's proven. Uh, it's got over millions of acres across the United States and really, frankly, around the world. Um, so it's not anything necessarily new, but... The process is new. the The formulation is new, and the ability to apply this is quite a lot different than it was in the past,
2: yeah, absolutely. Um, like you, like you said, uh, it's definitely not nothing new, but it is a new spin on an old idea. um and just we have more and more air seeders these days. um therefore the the need for something that is able to withstand that hostile environment um the better. Um, And we're starting to see a few more dry strip till machines um, out in in the areas that I cover. Um, And that's definitely has a fit there as well.
0: Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that application, Cody, for those of us that are not quite familiar with dry strip application.
2: Yeah. So we do a lot of no-till or strip tilling um, in my geography. Um, We can't afford the soil moisture by tearing things up and flipping the dirt over. Um, So we do a lot of strip tilling. And so these Dry strip tillers, basically, um, you're going in and you're banding your dry fertilizer um, down where the root zone is, going, to, where it's needed in that root zone. Um, it's much like a liquid strip tilling, but uh, this incorporates the dry.
0: Okay. So, in, in this case, we will be basically placing research right into that targeted uh, rich uh, uh, root zone. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, it's exactly like you would think of a strip till with a liquid machine, um, where sometimes you can dual place with liquid. But dry is a single placement and it absolutely uh, puts it down there about six six inches to eight inches deep. um, And right where those roots are going to need it, um, they'll come in and plant right down that same strip um, and as that uh, corn plant matures, um, it's got all the all the fertilizer there it's going to need.
0: So as that uh, plant matures and expands its root zone, it's going to hit that six-inch mark, basically, and then boom, research as well as some of the other fertility products, are going to be surrounded around that zone. Is that correct?
2: Correct. That's exactly how that works.
0: So, to Cody, how long have some of your growers been utilizing research in this format,
2: and what kind of results are you seeing? Oh, gosh. Uh, we've... It's been a slow adaptation, um, but we've, we're have we kind of going whole hog with it now. Um, just about every single air seater out there has got resurge in the tank as well. Um, we've done some testing with it, and the ROI is just too significant to overlook. Um, guys, once they use it, um, never seem to want to take it back out of the tank.
0: And, and simply because it's just so convenient and and really effective, is that correct?
2: Yeah, definitely convenient. Um it's, it's not an extra step. There's not an extra process or another pass. Um, they just, we blend it in with their dry fertilizer there at the plant. Um, half of them, half the guys forget it's even in there until they turn around and get the the, uh, the returns on it. And they're wondering why their yields are, are going up so much. Um, we've kind of overworked our grounds over the last hundred years. Um, we've really beat them up by uh, turning soil and by doing some deep tillage and whatnot. So Um, having a humic source in that band is uh, absolutely needed.
0: Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. You know, we, in a lot of areas across the U.S. and and really around the world, there's been times and times where we've inadvertently and unknowingly, you know, kind of mined some soils. And uh, this product, research is just a tool in their tool belt to reestablish some of that organic matter and, and rebuild that soil structure.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, organic matter is very hard to build up. Um, so sometimes you just got to outsmart the soil um, and put what it needs where it needs it. Um, that's exactly how, kind of what we're doing with research.
0: Wow. So let's talk a little bit more about research, you know, from, from I guess, uh, an organic standpoint. Where does research actually originate from, from that humic source and what makes it unique versus eh, uh, some other competitors that might be on the marketplace?
2: So, uh, research much like uh, Hydro-Hume, it does originate from uh, a mine down in uh, Cuba, New Mexico. Um, it is very arid down there. It is a 70% pure humic seam, um, and they are able to mine that. Um, it's just, just pretty shallow, uh, maybe six, seven feet under the surface. Um, they mine that. They're able to air dry that versus having to... Um, Dry it with a mechanical means, which tends to cook the beneficials right out of the out of the humate source. Um, so by doing it naturally and in a more arid type scenario, um, we're able to hold all those uh, beneficial aspects of the of the humic ore.
0: Wow, and that I think that's really a critical point that often over gets looked by a lot of producers. You know, they tend to throw, oh, it's a humic and gets it. The the word humic gets thrown into the same bucket, but not all humics are created equal.
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, most people don't even begin to think about where their humic source originates. Um, so that's kind of one of our challenges has always been. Okay, great, you're using you You're using a humic source. Um, so we challenge growers to try to find or determine where that source is, and many of them don't even know.
0: Right, and it could come from uh, all around the world, and, and and to your point, you know, some of these humic sources uh, from different mines in different areas, they just have different. effects effectiveness and efficiencies. And what we've done with the research is really tried to identify around the world, the most efficient mine, where we can grab the most efficient humic source uh, available in an economical sense, of course, uh, to American producers.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You got to think of, of where your source is, um, and go back a couple hundred years and think of what used to be there. Um, what kind of what kind of uh, origin was it? Um was it a heavily wooded area? Was it grasslands? Um, the, the more heavily wooded areas, the shorter uh, fulvic chains you get. Um, so you get more benefits when you have a higher fulvic content than when you just have just a straight humic product.
0: Well. Well, and, and I know there's a whole subset of science between humics, but the one thing we do know about Research is after after the dust settles, so to speak, uh, we know that that mine is one of the best mines in the world, uh, and it provides a very efficient product. Uh, we've got 20 plus years of history with that particular product, and growers from around the world are experiencing some of those benefits. Um, Cody, you know what's you know when we think about products like research uh, and HydroHume, for that matter, they kind of can somewhat fall into that biological space. And, it, and it's funny, right now, biologicals is the hot buzzword in the marketplace, and everybody's all about biologicals. But when we step back and we take a look at the biological portfolio in Helena, we were biological for before biological was cool, so to speak, with products like HydroHume and now Research. Tell us a little bit about the depth uh, and, and and the importance of having a, I guess, a biosafe type product like Hydrohum, which is a humic in your portfolio.
2: Sure, um, yeah, we've we've been playing the biological game before it was cool to have that word. Um, uh, it, like you said, it's been around for twenty some plus years. Um, so with that comes a lot of testing and a lot of results. Uh, we not only are are current uh, with having a biological, um, we're not just stepping up to the plate because it became popular and uh, is kind of the big buzzword right now. Um, it's tried and trued. We've been doing it for a long time. Um hume and uh, research absolutely fit that biological profile. Um, and like I said, we've been doing it a long time. Um, so we, we pride ourselves on the, the amount of testing we've done with it um, and we've got uh, a pretty good track record with uh, with a pretty old product.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important to uh, establish the confidence level out there. Uh, you know, we're very confident in this product line. Uh, we've got you know millions of acres really that have been treated with Hydrohuman now. Research, and uh, you know, as we evolve into a new newer uh, portfolio, research and and even research. Pro, uh, which is specifically designed for our golf industry and sports turf market and lawn care, uh, similar product, just a smaller uh, type of product. But man, we're getting amazing results with that particular product. And, and golf course superintendents, farmers, uh, no matter which uh, you know, formulation works for your farm or your your turf market, uh, it, it certainly is expressing some great results across the nation.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, My experience with uh, Research Pro is pretty limited. Um, I have got to play with it a little bit, uh, and it's pretty neat um, due to the fact that it's such a small granule. uh, You can go spread that on your greens, and you can't even see it, so it doesn't even interfere with uh, the game, with the play.
0: Yeah, I think that's pretty important, obviously, in the golf market and in the sports turf market. So that's what's neat about this product, research and Research Pro. It has a lot of flexibility, a lot of convenience, uh, and and more importantly, effectiveness for the end user, uh, making uh, our products more fertilizer-friendly uh, and more efficient for sure. Uh, what kind of yields, um, you know, are you guys seeing in your market, Cody, what kind of, I guess, results have you generally seen, uh, with hydrohume or, or resurge in your market?
2: You know, so what we, what we put on paper is around 11, 12 bushels. Um, of course that'd be a game of averages. We have seen some in the 15 and even 20s. Um, and those aren't just one-offs. Uh, we see those pretty consistently, um, and that's with anywhere from a six-pound use rate um, up to twenty. Uh, it depends on what we're trying to achieve. Uh, whether we're trying to amend the soil altogether, then we you tend to go up to that twenty-pound um, use rate. Uh, but if we're just going to do research uh, as a maintenance, um, and they do it every single year, we tend to hold around that ten. 10 pounds per acre range, um, just blended in with their with their fertilizer that they happen to be running anyways. And um, yeah, it's, it's nothing but uh, positive gains.
0: Yeah. And I think that's important. Yes, we're seeing some yield bumps here. But the other side of the story is, in, in a lot of regards, we're, we're having, because of that efficiency factor, we're able to reduce maybe some of the nitrogen needs, the overall pounds uh, in, on that farm in a lot of cases. Is that correct?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, so we've actually had some testing done with uh, the state of uh, South Dakota, and we have one of the only products that is one of the only humic products that is labeled to be used in, in South Dakota. Of course, it has to be under a different name, um, but uh, they have done quite a bit of extensive testing and have found that um, when using a quality humic product, uh, you can gain an 85% uh, nitrogen use efficiency. So you can actually back your nitrogen off by about 15% and have the same results as if you were running the full the full gamut of the nitrogen that you were running. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's that seems to be a a kind of a, somewhat of a standard. Obviously we'd want every, every grower to talk to their Helena representative for, you know, what's working best for him or her in their marketplace. Uh, But, but yeah, there's some really great opportunities to uh, reduce potentially some of the overall nitrogen impact on, on a per acre basis. And, play off this efficiency factor, uh, which is really good for the environment and really good for, you know, uh, the grower at the end of the day.
2: Yeah. And probably more important than worrying about backing off your nitrogen is just making sure you're getting all the use out of the nitrogen you are applying. Um, that's probably bigger than actually just trying to cut cost.
0: Yeah, that's that, that's. A, I'm glad you brought that up, Cody, because a lot of times we kind of immediately go to you know save, 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 and, and that is critically important. But you know, as a grower, we're already investing X dollars into our fertility program per acre, and what I'm hearing you say with research is, Mister Grower, you're investing X. Let's be sure you get a hundred percent of X out of your investment versus eh, 85
2: percent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if a guy were to be putting out, say, 200 pounds of nitrogen an acre, and he's only getting 85% of that um, due to whatever form of of uh, denitrification or leaching or whatever, um, if we can improve that by 15%, you know, that's like having 215, 220 pounds of nitrogen out there, um, which would be way better than just trying to go out there with 170 and making it back up to 200, so...
0: Yeah, you bet. Uh, Cody, you know, as you take a look at 2024, uh, we we talked a little bit about the strip-till side of things. Are there any other methods that you plan on, I guess, exploring with research in the future, maybe some different crops or different systems?
2: Um, Not really anything different as far as application. Anything that's going in a strip-till, a dry strip-till or an air seed or something like that, um, absolutely, that's where we'd like to position research um if guys are still going out and doing um just a blowdown of dry and then incorporating it um research definitely has a fit there um the hydrohum also is a great fit there as well um that's kind of what's available to you and uh what's in the barn as it's kind of how we play that game um but really we take research and position it to anything that's being banded and uh actually going in furrow or being incorporated
0: yeah, definitely a great opportunity to utilize research to get that, that that fertilizer efficiency, but also leveraging the ability uh, to to play off, I guess, the flexibility from an equipment standpoint, and in giving you that ability to place that uh, uh, humic in a in a very specific spot at a very specific time uh, on a wide range. So. Cody, want to thank you for joining us here today on this episode of FieldLink and bringing us up to speed on how you're positioning research in the high plains of Colorado, western Nebraska, as well as Kansas. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Bill.
2: I appreciate the opportunity.
0: And welcome back to FieldLink. Joining us from Nashville's Jody Lawrence. Uh, We had a pretty big WASDE report come out last Friday. A lot of information there, uh, you know, so, so, some questions hanging out there around Russia, how that's going to impact the WASDE report. What did we learn?
3: Well, Bill, it's good to be back. I hope everybody had a good weekend. And, yeah, unfortunately, the USDA put out uh, that what was taken as a fairly bearish report, even though the numbers outside of the wheat number really uh, were fairly neutral and within expectations, but had a nice rebound today Uh A lot of what uh, appears to be in the market was everybody last Friday, end of the week, end of the month, end of the quarter, and the looming government shutdown uh, all contributed to the washout after the report. The report, uh, the stocks were uh, almost a little friendly in corn, uh, but wheat was hit so hard they found an extra, gosh, uh, what, uh, uh, almost an extra, uh, five hundred, or excuse me, fifty million extra bushels of wheat in, in the stocks and from the production. So uh, viewed as bearish, but then today you came back and beans were up a couple. Uh, wheat re- regrouped and uh, pulled, got back almost all of what it lost, and corn was up 10. And we're just right back at the top end of that 470 to 490 range in December corn. But the harvest progress numbers came out this afternoon, both of them pretty much in line at 23%. Beans, maybe a little ahead of where they thought, corn right at about. A, a, what was expected a little bit ahead of average, but not uh you know, as as much as I would have thought. I think you've got a lot of situations where because of the low Mississippi River basis has collapsed over the last two to three weeks, that farmers seeing a good open weather forecast and no chance of no real chance that winter sneaks up on us and does any damage to corn standing in the field. They're letting it dry naturally and taking their time about trying to figure out what to do with it because the weather has been so unusually warm all the way into October now.
0: Yeah, definitely. We're here in 90s, uh, 95 in in Central Plains right now. Corn's certainly drying down kind of a blessing in disguise considering what it The alternative could be right, Jody, in terms of energy cost to dry corn down or soybeans for that matter, and uh, taking things slow and steady right
3: now is kind of a blessing. Exactly, the weather has turned out at the end of the season to give everybody by them a little extra time that we don't get necessarily every season. So it's uh, uh, with the prices having fallen, uh, it being able to avoid any extra dock. Because of wet corn or because of damage, uh, is helpful for everybody.
0: Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, uh, still could use a little of that moisture to help out with some final test weights. But yet, boy, that that fuel cost could really burn up a, a person's uh, total net revenue uh, with with drying stuff down. Uh, Jody, we got some other reports coming up here in the near future. What else is on the horizon?
3: Well, since the government is not going to shut down, they signed the temporary funding bill until the middle of November. We will get the October and November reports, both fully researched. Some of last week's heartburn in the markets was if the government did shut down, the October report would have been released, but only with data collected up until Saturday night when the uh, government was shut down. But thankfully, we will get a fully researched report that will be a week from this Thursday, and uh, they will update uh, just about everything they can find, and the yield is going to be the biggest thing. What I'm hearing from everybody that's getting back in touch with me is if you are in the eastern Corn Belt, you are seeing bean yields that are better than you expected. And in the areas that got plenty of timely rains, I've talked to several people that they have record uh, per field yields on certain uh, sections and certain plots of ground. So that's good to see that even in an inconsistent year that we've moved along with the technology, with the genetics, with the farm practices, the stewardship of the ground, and everybody on your team that helps contribute to getting everything, coaxing those bushels out of the acre, that we are getting some uh, surprisingly good yields and beans Uh, Even in some of the drier areas now, uh, that will all moderate with uh, what seventy-seven percent of the harvest left. But it is uh, it's good to hear that uh, that the crop is at least stabilized and the final yields probably the October going to be somewhere around one seventy-two and maybe the bean yield ticks below fifty. But we'll just have to see what the USDA found out there. Judy,
0: you know, uh, yeah, certainly we, we've got some pretty good things happening here right now in terms of the market as it relates to uh, weather and, you know, the WASDE reports coming out. We've got some, you know, some unknowns kind of identified but what, what's what's the demand side looking like, Jody? What what are you hearing across the nation and really around the world for demand for both corn as well as soybeans right now?
3: Cash markets have stabilized a little bit, and and one of the positives that we that we saw today was that when the USDA released the port, report on Friday, all of Europe and Asia were already closed for the weekend. So when everything came back out today and uh, looking around at the world cash prices, the world cash prices did not go down like the U.S. futures did on Friday. And I think that was part of today's bounce. So that's good that there is enough demand uh, at current levels that the market's not searching for demand. But on from a world basis, we still are having an issue that Russia has plenty of wheat that they're willing to sell. Uh, Ukraine is finding ways to get their wheat exported, and they are undercutting everything simply to raise some money, and Brazil is not yet out of corn and beans from their record crop. So uh, world demand is good, and at this point, it's pointing towards China, uh, it, and just in the calendar year of 2023, is going to re- import a record amount of beans, so that looks good towards the future. The strong dollar is still a problem because of all the rate in, uh, the rate increases and the possibility of more. The government shut down uh, or not shut down, rallied the dollar even more. So the dollar is still a negative impact on U.S. exports, uh, but uh, today in the inspection report we are beginning to see slowly but surely a build back of weekly inspections which means somebody's buying them and somebody's shipping them out so i wouldn't say that it's red hot just yet but it's certainly uh improved uh over the summer we just need the dollar to break to i think i think that would really be one of the straws that helps break the camel's back so that we can see the demand return to where we would like to see it. Yeah,
0: definitely. uh, The demand certainly is there globally. Uh, People are certainly a lot of mouths to feed out there. That that dollar, though, that's kind of catching us in a lot of regards. Jody, let's talk a little bit about uh, logistics. Uh, uh, Reports still coming in. Uh, The Mississippi River is... uh, You know, she's running dry. Uh, She's getting pretty low. Uh, What kind of impact do you think that will, you know, impact growers uh, throughout the corn belt market, as well as the Delta this year, as well as bringing fertilizer back up to those marketplace for fall application?
3: Yeah, this is going to become another logistics problem like we saw last year, because there'll be... Uh, lighter barges, uh, more trips. If you have more trips, you have more transportation costs. You have crude back over 90 and diesel back over 330 uh, in futures on the board. So we know that the extra transportation cost by the lighter load barges because the low river level becomes an issue, both getting corn out and supplies back. The basis is a core it is reflecting that and it it is uh you know it's crazy to think that the last two years we go all the way back to 2012 since the mississippi's been like this so the the a lot of the u.s is uh, definitely uh, needs a wet winter whether it's a lot of snow or just some uh, catch-up rains but we the, the river system is really having a negative impact on basis right now simply because it's so expensive and with the small loads that are having to go down the river.
0: And definitely need to recharge that soil as well as those lakes and reservoirs out there across across the graded fruited plains. Uh, Jody, uh, any any last thoughts as we wrap up this segment of FieldLink?
3: No, we're still into, uh, you know, harvest we're about a quarter of the way done, but I did get an email today from one of, uh, the insurance companies, crop insurance companies that, uh, I speak to regularly and you've got a bunch of deadlines, uh, coming up, uh, on decisions to make for your crop insurance, uh, what to pick for, uh, coverage and some other things so make sure you're paying attention to your deadlines on your crop insurance don't let anything sneak by you and right now we're sitting at uh, you know a dollar below in corn from the February average and over a dollar below in beans and we this month October will set that average so today was the first day of trade we'll keep an eye on everything just to see how, uh, those prices uh, begin to affect and what kind of cash flow everybody can expect where they did fall below their APH to help smooth things out as we head into the end of the year.
0: All right. Well, Jody, you want to thank you for joining us uh, from Nashville today. Uh, we look forward to hearing you from you next time here on FieldLink. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for joining us on this episode of FieldLink. Be sure to log in to HelenaAgra.com to learn more about research or contact your Helena representative to learn how research can be a part of your fertility program in 2024.